Should we pray as we just look at God's word together, just for a few minutes um, towards the end of our service? Let's pray. Father God, we just pray now as we look at your word, as we just think of those four verses that Pat read to us a moment ago, Lord, we just pray that you would give us open hearts, um, regardless of whether we know you or not. Lord, I believe there's a message here for all of us about our integrity and our faith integrity as well. So, Father God, uh, just speak to us now and be with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you might be interested to know that the, uh, my wordless book earlier on um, wasn't an original idea, which um, I hate to admit that sort of thing, because I like it. I much prefer people to think that um, I'm full of brilliant ideas. Um, you might guess, has it a guess at the first person to use this? Charles Spurgeon. There we are, a long, long time ago. There we are, his idea. Although I'm taking the credit because he's no longer around. Anyway, um, there was a battleship. Uh, all good sermons start with a battleship, don't they? Uh, there was a battleship that had been assigned to training manoeuvres out in the sea. And it had been out for a few days uh, under quite heavy weather. And as it uh, made its sort of beginnings of its journey back to shore, um, nightfall fell, as it does every evening. And a visibility due to patchy fog uh, made visibility almost uh, terrible. Terrible and was quite rubbish. Uh, the captain stayed on the bridge of the battleship to make sure that everything was done correctly and to keep a lookout to make sure that everything was safe in this poor visibility. As he stood there on the bridge, the lookout reported that he'd seen a light in the distance. The captain asked the obvious nautical question, is it a steady light or is it moving astern? That's what you're all thinking, I'm sure. The lookout replied, steady, it's a steady light, which meant that they were on a direct collision course. The captain called to the signalman, signal that ship this message. We're on a collision course, advise you change course by 20 degrees. Back came the reply, it's advisable that you change course 20 degrees. The captain, a little bit irritated by this, replied, send this message. I'm a captain of a battleship. I'm a, I'm a captain, as I say. So you change course by 20 degrees. The reply came back. I'm only a second-class officer, but it's you that better change your course by 20 degrees. At this time, the captain was furious, understandably, the lack of respect from this lowly second-class officer, and he sent back this message. I am a battleship, and I command you to change course by 20 degrees or else. The reply came back, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> they changed course. <laughs> Our sermon series uh, from Matthew chapter 6, I'm so glad you laughed, um, from, sermon, uh, from Matthew chapter 6 is titled On the King's Secret Service. Um, and in this particular section of Matthew 6, if you've got Matthew 6 open in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament, that would be brilliant. It would be good to have it open, although there's only four verses. I think they can all squeeze on the uh, screen behind me. But in this particular whole section, Jesus is dealing with three spiritual habits that the religious elite, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law were well known for. They were well known for prayer, for fasting, and for their alms, their giving to the poor. But the difference was that when these religious elite, when these Pharisees performed these particular three spiritual habits, they performed them not for God, but for show. They performed them so that people would marvel at how holy they were. And so when Jesus deals with these three things in Matthew chapter 6, he's challenging wrong religion. I hate wrong religion. There's one truth, there's one saviour. There's so much that's counterfeit that's often built around him. And so he goes through this, and as he 
deals with this wrong religion of this religious elite who have kind of taken the commands of God and twisted them to make themselves look good. He's also teaching his followers what true godliness looks like. It is actions like these, prayer, fasting, giving to the needy, that are done not for show or for praise, but simply for out-and-out service to our God. This section begins with a warning. A warning that's so important that it's as important as the uh, story of the battleship and the lighthouse and that warning given to that battleship. It's as important as any warning you'll hear uh, at any point in your life. Jesus says, I'll read all the four verses to you again. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they will have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus starts this particular teaching um, on giving to the needy, but it encompasses all three of what I've just mentioned, uh, with a very clear warning. The warning is... Um, that if you do your Christian actions, your righteous acts that are required by God to be praised by human beings, God will not reward you. This religious elite who Jesus was challenging and speaking out against practiced a self-serving religion. They did the things God asked, but not to be approved by God, so that they would be noticed, thanked and praised by other human beings. And Jesus is warning us against the same mistake. It's easy, isn't it, in life to want other people to notice how good we are, to notice all the good things that we do, to pat us on the back, to give us some praise of our commitment and our sacrifice and our service. And Jesus says, be careful. The warning is clear that if we serve God for the praise of people, there is no reward from God himself. You could not get any more direct a warning for wanting the praise of men over wanting the praise of God anywhere. The only reward on offer if you want the praise of other human beings is the hollow praise of other human beings. Because it is hollow, isn't it? Because we miss out on the approval of God. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That word seen in Greek, we said last week, or reminded last week that in Greek, often there's like 10 words for one word in English. We say the word seen, but in Greek there's probably five different words for the word seen. It's such a rich language. That's probably why God uh, meant for his New Testament to be written in Greek and not in English. And that would have been very confusing for everyone if it had been in English, because English doesn't make any sense to anybody else outside of England, does it? Um, But in Greek, there's this rich uh, alternative to different words. And the word seen in Greek that Jesus uses in verse 1 actually has the sense of a public show. So he's saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of other people to be on show, like like a street drama. It also has the sense of an important person being looked at with admiration. As Barack Obama comes to the end of his presidency, eight years in office, um, lots of people are feeling very nostalgic. Um, 
especially those people who are quite concerned of what's going to happen on January the 20th. And so we've been bombarded with pictures of Barack Obama doing wonderful things, holding calm, serene children, you know, talking to older people, doing all sorts of things, and we admire him. We're all admiration, aren't we? And the effect is to make him look good. Um, no disrespect to Barack Obama, but the point I'm trying to make is it's so easy, isn't it, to want to be seen by others, for people to look at us and say, well done. It's so easy to fall into the trap of doing our Christian service almost like street theatre, wanting the plaudits, admiration, because we want people to recognise all that we do for the king. Is that our motive and our motivation when we serve God in this place or we serve God personally? Verse 2 carries on this theme of this acting uh, a bit further. Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. That word hypocrite, amongst other meanings, actually has the meaning of an actor on a stage. People who act are hypocrites, aren't they? We don't mean it in a nasty way, um, but they're hypocrites. Because a hypocrite isn't just someone who doesn't do what they say. A hypocrite is someone who acts as someone they're not. And so when we perform our religious duties to be seen and approved by other people, we're pretending to be someone we're not because we're doing it with the wrong heart. Jesus says, be careful, because it's well dangerous. It just, we'll come on to that in a moment, but it just twists um, our Christianity if we're not careful. Do you or I have a church face? Do you have a church face? You know what it's like? If you've got younger children, you'll know what the church face is anyway, because you spend most of them on like, we just get ready. I want to get to church and worship with my brothers and sisters. And then you come into church, hello. And then the children say something, and you're sort of, what's that, dear? Oh, good. <laughs> or you have a row with your husband or wife, or you roll out of bed and just kind of stick the comb through the hair and just sort of, <clears throat> oh, I've been up for hours, happy days. Uh, do you have a church face? When you're with your non-Christian friends, are you a completely different man or woman from with your Christian friends? Do you want your Christian friends to look at you and go, oh, wow, isn't she or he really godly? They're really brilliant, aren't they? Look at all they do. And then when the church is away, the other side of you comes out. I wonder. Robert Redford, uh, the well-known actor, um, was asked as he walked through a hotel lobby by a slightly obsessed, overexcited fan, are you the real Robert Redford? As he entered the elevator and the doors began to close, he said this, apparently, only when I am alone. Are you the real you? Or only when you're alone? The real you is when no one's watching not when everyone's watching. Are we secretly a part of Christian amateur dramatics in this church? I wonder. Do we have a church face? Do you know every Sunday morning God speaks to me? Do you know that? Every single Sunday morning God speaks to me. And do you know where God speaks to me every single Sunday morning? Sometimes in here. But there's one place, the top of Malin's Drive. I've probably shared this before. Malin's just a private road. Literally, it goes down the side of the church. As I walk from my house... Um, normally one of the children, if they are up in time, um, I get to Malin's drive and I say, Lord, I pray the same prayer, Father God, please let this morning go well. Let it be good. Let everyone enjoy it. Let everyone worship you. Let the sermon go well. And I hear God say one word every single Sunday. Why? And I know that what God is saying to me is secretly, who for? You or me? Good sermon, so you look good? Or a good sermon so that people worship me 
and move forward in their faith. It's so easy, isn't it, to get it wrong. When we serve in church or just serve the words of God personally at work or somewhere else, are we doing those things hoping that somebody else will notice and say, well done, aren't you brilliant? Do we want a good reputation to be known as someone? Jesus says, be careful. And I advise you to be careful, and me, of the whispers of the devil himself who says things like this, you do so much every week for that place and no one cares. No one says thank you. No one ever notices. Why do you bother? It's a thankless task. Why don't you uh, push yourself a bit? You know, mention what you've done. See if anyone kind of realises a bit more. Yet Jesus says in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Our works of service Our righteous acts are to be so personal, so God-focused, that even this half of my body doesn't know it's happening when this half does it. Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 11 to 12, The greatest among you will be your servants, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, but not by us, by God. True greatness in God's kingdom is selfless sacrifice and service for the king of kings it's a heart that encapsulates the words of john the baptist in john chapter 3 verse 30 when he said this as jesus ministry started he said he must become greater i must become less the most effective christians in the kingdom of god are those whose focus is firmly not on their reputation or where their name is listed, or how many people follow them, or how many people even notice what they do. But those who are so focused on God's reputation and God's kingdom that they actually wish to go under the radar because their heart seeks the approval of the King of Kings. And those of you who don't know Jesus Christ and still believe that the top of the mountain is where it's at, at the top of that promotion or, or how many people contact you on LinkedIn or how many people headhunt you, all of that fundamentally will let you down because people never make you feel good. Only God can make you feel whole through his son, Jesus Christ. And the reason this matters is that every Christian life comes to a fork in the road at some point, normally quite early on when you have to make a decision consciously or unconsciously, is this going to be Christianity for me or Christianity for God? Christ says, carry your cross and follow me. Go the narrow path or have death following God and his son's example. The devil says, go that way. Have it all and just turn up on a Sunday. Jesus says, follow me. That's the real Christianity. One is hollow and lifeless. The other will be the greatest adventure you ever go on. And that's why Jesus says, be careful. In fact, that word be careful in verse 1 has another nautical nautical, uh, term to that. So it links in with my battleship story. Didn't know that at the beginning of the year when I wrote the sermon. So it's a happy coincidence at the end. And that word be careful in Greek actually carries the sense of a ship uh, being brought to land. If you've ever been on a boat, a boat holiday, you can be flying across the ocean like this. That's not not an ocean liner, obviously. Um, Bombing along, can't you? But as soon as they come to moor, I was going to say park, uh, when they come to moor, they don't go fast, do they? Because they haven't got any brakes. So they sort of go 
that's the wrong sound, but maybe it's more, what's, I don't know what sound a boat makes. Um, I don't know, we won't bother. Anyway, so, but they go as slow as they can, can't they? Because why? Because if you go too fast, you're going to crash and sink. It's pretty straightforward. Um, some people here in this church have been through the Panama Canal. And um, there's a picture of the Panama, I hope, I hope that's the Panama Canal, it was according to Google. And the Panama Canal is one seriously tight fit um, for most boats of that size. And I'm told that it's not unusual for the captain to be looking over the side just to make sure that they're as close as they need to be, not too close, not too far for hitting the other side. That's how careful Jesus wants us to do our acts of righteous service, so careful that even a little bit of a knock towards self-righteousness could be devastating. So why does this matter for us this morning? It matters because serving and giving to those who are needy is a central part of Christianity. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 11 says this God said to these people Israel there will always be poor in the la- there will always be poor people in the land therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land Hebrews hang on, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 and 16 says this give me give me a chance Gary <laughs> Make me look bad. Um, where are we? 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, um, Jesus says, Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then Proverbs um, 19, uh, verse 17, a really brilliant verse. Hang on. It says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And then Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. We've already read it. Um, is this hang on do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act don't withhold good to those who whom, whom it is due when it is in your power to act when we talk about giving to the needy we don't just mean money of course we mean our time we mean our ears to listen and sit down and offer advice or just listen and say nothing. We, of course, do mean things like money and possessions. We mean also our respect, uh, our strength as well if we have to defend people, our prayers. Giving to the needy is a central part of our faith, so much so that James in chapter 2, verse 14 to 17 says that without works, faith is dead. You cannot have faith in Jesus Christ and not serve people and serve God and build his kingdom one without the other is dead you might get into heaven but just simple as that for the skin of your teeth but faith and deeds together is living faith Matthew chapter 5 suggests that because God loves every human being so much that actually when we help those who are in need it's as if we're feeding and clothing God himself So let me ask us a question this morning. Do you or I still labour under the the false concept that our stuff is our stuff? Do you still believe that what you've got is yours? 
It's not yours. You know how I know that? Because not one thing in your house you take with you when you die. Therefore, how can you say you own it? It's lent to you, and it's not lent by the state or by your friends or by your company you work for. It is lent by the King of Kings. And so some Christians might say, uh, and some Christians have said to me this, well, no, you're right. I will give to the needy. And they say this, if God told me to, I would give all my money away. If God told me to, I'd quit my job and I would serve as a volunteer or something. I'd sell my house and give half the money to the poor. If God told me to, I would do loads to help those who are struggling. But then most Christians come back with the most disappointing, devastating caveat in all of Christian history. But he would have to make it really, really obvious. But God has made giving to the needy really, really obvious. By word and deed. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 to 9, we read these wonderful verses. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And you will cry for help and he will say, here I am. And then Micah chapter 6 verse 8. We read these verse, this verse as well. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God has already made it very, very clear in his word, but he has made it very, very clear in his own actions. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, What then should we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. How more obvious do we want it to be made, church, that we should give to the needy and shelter the homeless wanderer and stand up for the oppressed and make a difference every single day. How much clearer can it be from the word of God and the son of God being nailed to a cross for the poor and the broken so that we could be rich in our salvation? You have already been given to as the needy. All God is saying is be like me from now on. A true servant of Christ doesn't wait to be commanded again to give to the needy. They give to the needy because they are a true servant of Christ. 
And the reason we must hear these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 today, and the reason we must give with selfless humility for the glory of God and not our own praise is simply that, that when we give, we we resemble something of the nature and the character of God. You see, when you give or when you serve for your own reputation, what you're doing, what you're saying to the world is, "I'm, I'm like God, this is what God is like, but you're taking God's reputation, God's image, and you're tainting it, you're warping it, you're twisting it. And you're making it worldly. Because God gives selflessly. So let me end by asking just a couple of questions. Not just to you, to me as well. Because we all have a long way to go. Do we give to the needy? And I don't mean a regular direct debit to a Christian charity. As good, as important as that is. Do we give over and above that to the needy? Do I serve God in his church? Do I serve God in his church? Do I work for the building of his kingdom? Am I one of those whose faith lacks deeds? Am I figuratively and literally passing the needy and ignoring God's biblical command to give? What is the state of my heart? Have I let the devil's whispers in? Do I crave approval and praise of everybody else except God? Would I be prepared to serve the king and be unknown, unthanked and unappreciated by every single human being? Am I like Jesus Christ, who when he died on the cross to save the universe was alone and unknown? That is our gold standard. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, just as I finish. Hear the word of the Lord, as Pat said. I said at the beginning, because this is what we need to listen to. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are... God's secret army. Secret army. 
People should know you're a Christian. They should know you come to church. You should preach the gospel to them. But as for our battle against the flesh and darkness, we wage that war in secret by praying a lot, by giving to the needy. And we come on to fasting next week because the prayers of a righteous person have great power. And we are called to show God through our actions as well as our words. But if we do any of this for us, then there is no reward and no point. Shall we pray? Father God, we just want to lift up these verses. Uh, and Lord, uh, it's such an amazing um, four verses from Matthew 6, Father, and where Jesus just spoke the wisdom of God, Lord, into that particular issue. Lord, it's just amazing. And so easy is it to give and want to be noticed. So easy, Lord, is it to convince ourselves that we deserve some sort of recognition. And Lord, actually, it's a complicated issue because, Lord, there are commands in the New Testament to encourage. So, Lord, the message this morning isn't that we must stop encouraging each other. Quite the contrary. Father, if we're all going to be humble and want to go unnoticed, then the rest of us have to be more mature in noticing each other and being encouraged. Lord, it's almost a gift encouragement and so few people have it so father god may we on one hand have a heart that says god not me but equally a heart that says who can i encourage in the service of god father grow both those attitudes in this church and across your church for father god may we always look to your son he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant father god we want to be your servants we want to be forgotten by the world because, Lord, when people see us, all they see is you. Lord, we are your secret army. Lord, called to go into the world to make a real difference by being completely God-focused. Lord, help us put away selfish ambition or vain conceit in any form. May we recognize it and kill it before it takes a foothold. And may we want to be like your son 100%. So forgive us, Lord, for those moments when we have uttered those very phrases the devil has whispered. But Lord, may we just focus and seek the approval of the King in everything we do. And we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.